You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. But I want to give a little bit of an introduction, and I'm going to turn it over to these guys to share. They're going to be sharing their their story uh, with us, uh, and and there's some purpose in this. I was thinking about this this week. Our, Our mission here at The Well is to be a gospel-centered church family of gospel communities that grow missionally engaged disciples who glorify God. Now, I'll give you a little warning. There are three words that define that mission statement. There are three words. If you knew those three words, you'd have it, right? Who knows the three words? Yes. Yes, you guys get stars on your charts in heaven. (laughs) Definitely going to heaven because you knew that. Um, <laughs> see, you guys are, sounds like works-based theology. Yes. Not, not grace-based, <laughs> but what that means is that we value, uh, the transforming message of the gospel, right? We value that. We value the diversity of the church family. Um, we value and want to be wholeheartedly engaged in the mission of God throughout the world, right? Um, Matthew 16, 15 through 18 says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, and I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That passage was so foundational for us in planting the well that one of, one of the first gals that began following Jesus through our church actually tattooed it on my arm. Um, and so that's just one of the foundational passages. Another one is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You might know this well. It's the Great Commission, right? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Think about that. Go therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Go therefore because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, being given to Jesus. Therefore, he then gives us that same authority and power to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Comes with a promise. God's mission comes with a promise. As you go, as I send you, I will give you authority and power to continue. Uh, John 20, 19-23, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Love this passage. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. There's this aspect of following Jesus. It isn't about just being cush and comfy. It's about being sent into some really uncomfortable places and spaces. And as you Read the book of Acts, and you see Jesus doing that with his disciples, sending them out as missionaries, right? Um, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you will hold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And then finally, another passage that would really supported our mission statement, Acts 1, 6 through 8, says, When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but, here's the key, 
you will receive power. Dunamis is the uh, Greek word, means dynamite, power. Just ask a question in your Christian life and in your Christian witness lately. Have you seen dynamite power in it, or is it more like dead? Where are you at in that this morning in terms of you sharing your faith and being on mission, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Those three places. Jerusalem, that's their hometown, kind of a comfortable place. And then Judea and Samaria, these are places that would be more uncomfortable for them to go. And then to the ends of the earth. Um, it would be very uncomfortable to go to the ends of the earth. Very scary, right? would just interrupt their daily lives and send them to places that uh, they wouldn't uh, have maybe thought of going previously. And so those four passages have been super foundational for us in our mission statement. Um, I wanted to lay that out there first and just simply say this is who we want to be as a church. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and, and so we've done that, right? About five years we've been pursuing people in our community and planting the well. And then about a year and a half ago, I know these guys will share more about this, about a year and a half ago I began to think, you know, I, we need to pursue lost people, yes, but we also need people who have been following Jesus for many, many years to come and join what we're doing so that this church sticks around for a long time. Um, you need both. Uh, in a church to see it sustained. And so began talking to Chris and Steph. We've known each other for a lot of years. Love these guys a lot. I could go on and on and on about stories. Um, one thing I'll say on the outset is that um, you look at Chris and I, totally different, right? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's skinny and I'm in shape. <laughs> and... Uh, but it's crazy the way that, and I know you guys are going to share more about this later too, but what's crazy is we really are radically different. I mean, dude lives on a lake. I live in the backyard of Burger King. Um, <laughs> we, 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 our families do both have seven kids each, so we have some similarity there, but they caught up. And that, so that's, you know, I mean, they saw us and they were like, we want to catch up. Um, but I mean, I mean, Chris has got no ink. I got ink. Uh, you know, he's never smoked a thing or drank anything. Um, and I've been in some really rough, tough places, but the, and we talk about this all the time, we're really, really good friends, um, in some regard, best of friends, and, uh, and yet we share some of the same loves. We love the gospel, and we love people, um, and we love our wives and our kids a lot. I can't, can't tell you how many times we've cried together uh, over one of those three topics. And so, um, so that being said, that's kind of my introduction. I I invited them to share because I want you guys to hear from them. I think that their story is so radically different from mine that I think it'll challenge us in different ways. Uh, and my hope is that through hearing their story that uh, we would all be challenged to um, take risks with our lives. Um, that's the end goal for me today is that they would share and that we would be challenged to be on the same mission together of seeking to save that which was lost, right? People in our community. 17,000 people live in our community that don't know the Lord, 17,000. Just let that number weigh in, set in, 17,000 people. And here we are, 40 of us, 50 maybe, might think can't do much, but I remember this story, I'm sorry, I remember this story about Gideon at 3,500 people, or 35,000 actually I think it was. God whittled his army down to 500 before sending them out to do mission. And so you may think that we're small, God can do great things through small things. And so uh, I know these guys have known that to be true in their family too. And so that's my prayer. God would challenge us that way as they share. So I'm going to pray, turn it over to them, and then come back up towards the end. Father, thank you for um, your word. 
Thank you for this church family. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity it is to lead and to teach and to preach and to share. And thank you for Chris and Steph and their heart, their friendship, uh, and their desire to come and join our church family. Um, thank you for just calling them out of um, and a very, a very long membership in another church to come and be part of what you're doing here. Lord, I pray that you would bless them as they share their story. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us a lot about what it means to follow you radically in this community and reach lost people. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Yep. Good morning. Thank you, Joe, for your introduction. And as he said, I am Chris. This is my wife, and it's a privilege for us to be able here uh, to be here with you today and share our story. And as uh, not a dramatic story, it's not filled with uh, crazy moments of near-death experiences by any means. It might be somewhat, but I am reminded that it's God's story and His work in my life, and that's what I want to share with you. So, just a few basic nuts and bolts to know a little bit more about. You want to, may know more than you want to know about me when it's all over. <laughs> but uh, I grew up uh, born in Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm the youngest of five kids. I have two older sisters and two older brothers. Uh, we were a church-going family. We went to church faithfully every Sunday. Uh, we participated in many church activities. And church was certainly an integral part of our lives. It was something that we um, were active in and did. And it was simply that, something we did. Um, it wasn't until my freshman year in high school, we moved from Colorado. My dad was a college professor. We moved from Fort Collins, Colorado to Kearney. And in that time, we got in, uh, involved in a church in Kearney that had some amazing and wonderful youth leaders that truly changed my life. Um, it was during these years that God became real to me. My youth pastors were on fire for the Lord, loved the Lord, and loved people. And it was evident that Christ was dwelled within them, and that love certainly was um, extended to me. And it was during this time that I realized through my relationship with them that God is a living God, and that He, um, that I could have a relationship with Him, and that they basically demonstrated what that looked like and how I could uh, own that relationship with Christ as well. And so I am... They were mentors and friends, and uh, we've kept in touch over the years. And whenever I speak of them, I just give God thanks for their investment in my life and changing my life. Um, following high school, I, I went to college here, uh, at Hastings College, actually, and um, continued to grow in my faith, faithfully worshipped in church, had some great Christian friends and some great experiences. Um, I'm thankful, as Joe indicated, I didn't struggle with addictions of drug or alcohol, and I'm thankful for that, for God's protection through that, and I was thankful for many good relationships. Um, after college, um, I also uh, worked at some summer church camps, um, and I also did a, a, a season of uh, youth ministry at a church here in town many years ago, <laughs> becoming more and more distant past. Um, and during that time uh, that I served, I, I was basically, the Lord revealed to me how little I know about God's Word and that I needed to spend time in it. Growing up, we were church going, but we never opened God's Word really. My mom was faithful in her morning study. Um, my dad had the, was wise enough to know that church was important, but not a part center of his life. And so the scriptures were something we heard a bit about on Sundays, but it wasn't uh, the cornerstone of our walk with him and, and of truth. 
And so I was, that was revealed to me as I began to teach youth uh, how little I knew and how important it was. And so that has been, I feel like all my life I've been playing catch-up. And uh, I'm thankful to be able to know the importance of the scriptures, uh, but regretful that I didn't start sooner. Following uh, my youth ministry, my short-term youth ministry, I actually went back to UNL and uh, went back for another degree in music education and my master's degree in music education. And it was at that time that I met my beautiful wife. Good morning. Uh, my name is Stephanie. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Um, I appreciate the opportunity to come up and to share the work that God has done in my life. Um, we are in the Sunday night GC, and one of the things that we talk about often is God's um, relentless love, his relentless pursuit of us, how he, he chases us, he doesn't give up, he doesn't let up, he doesn't let us go. And um, I feel like that's kind of the story of my life. Um, my background's a little bit different from my husband's. Um, one of the most difficult things, life lessons for me, has been to trust. Not only to trust God, but to trust the people that he puts in my life, even my husband. Um, that's been a struggle for me. I grew up in a family um, who actually placed a lot of trust in me, but uh, wasn't always able to reciprocate. Um, one of my parents is mentally ill, and um, this was never diagnosed and never treated, um, I believe the illness is bipolar disorder, and that's just not my opinion. Um, we've seen a lot of professionals um, in working with, with our kids, and as I describe some of, um, some of the things that I saw in childhood, I've had a couple different doctors say, yeah, that walks like a duck. That's probably what that is. Um, so anyway, uh, childhood for me was um, probably the word I would, I would use, it, use to describe it was frightening. Um, it, I, I never felt safe. I never felt physically safe. I never felt emotionally safe. Um, I was the oldest of four children, and so I spent a good deal of my time just trying to protect um, my siblings from, from the abuses that I was receiving. Um, I have wounds from childhood that I still bring to the Lord daily, and he is um, so faithful in binding those up. Um, I don't ever want to speak disrespectfully about my parents. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not going to blame them for things that are my responsibility. There were a lot of circumstances um, growing up that happened that just were not in their control. And uh, one of those was um, when I was six years old, our home was destroyed by a tornado. We talked about a tornado. Joe talked about a tornado last week. Um, I got to meet one up close and personal. I was down in the basement uh, with my mom and my two sisters. My dad is an electric lineman, and so when sane people go inside for shelter, he gets called out to work <laughs> um, on electricity, power lines. Um, so he was out working. Tornado literally just took our house off, took our roof off, walls caved in, we were stuck down there. It was a um, pretty traumatic experience. And, um, you know, losing everything that you have, every physical thing that you have, isn't something that you recover from quickly or easily. Um, and so that defined, I think, a lot of, of uh, my family and the way we grew up. Um, it piled a lot of emotional difficulty and economic uncertainty um, on a family that really didn't have any knowledge of what it meant to trust the Lord in those circumstances. Um, like my husband, we were a church-going family, but um, we kind of reserved our, our God-honoring behavior for Sunday morning. 
and the rest of the week, there was no talk of God in our house. There was no attempt to live according to his word. Um, it, was, it was the definition of hypocrisy, but it was normal to me. I just thought that's what we did. Um, we talked one way on Sunday, Sunday, and we walked a very different way Monday through Saturday. Um, the church we did attend, though, was diligent about its commitment to God's word. Um, reading, studying, memorizing scripture. That was taught, that was emphasized as being a vital part to the life of a Christian. And I'll always be grateful for that, um, just that installation of the importance of God's word in my life. Um, Unfortunately, it was also a group of people that were really steeped in legalism. You know, talked about works-based salvation. That's that's what I knew growing up. They prioritized the correct obedience of God's commands over the people that were actually there. And honestly, it was was kind of like going to church with the Pharisees of Jesus' time. Um, Everybody was really, really careful about how they acted and what they did. And that just kind of drive me to want to hide my Monday through Saturday behavior even more and um, just live in that dichotomy. Um, I grew up with this image of God who had a list of demands like, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And inevitably, when I fell short, um, I didn't know how to look at forgiveness. I just knew how to look at judgment and anger. And um, the condemnation I felt was crushing. I came to a saving faith in Christ when I was 13 years old. Um, I was very aware that I was a sinner, very aware that I needed forgiveness. And I was baptized, and I was desperate for that transformation. But I really didn't have any idea about how to walk in the newness of life. And unfortunately, it was about this time that um, some of the leaders in our church were kind of catching on to some things that were going on in our home and um, started to call my parents out on it and hold them accountable. And of course, nobody likes that. So um, we stopped going to church. So it's like the one link that I had to other believers uh, was cut off. And I knew no one. I knew no one who um, lived out their faith. And so I just felt very alone. Um, fell into pretty dark times. My teenage years, my college years were um, the darkest of my life. And I tried so hard to do everything right. And I just kept failing over and over again. And eventually I came to the point where I literally sat down and I told God, I'm sorry, I can't do this. You have a standard for me that is up here. I can't live up to that standard. And so I just, I just walked away and I just um, gave myself over to all of the sinful desires that plagued my heart. And my heart was broken time and time again, and I felt very alone. God is faithful, though, and um, that relentless love didn't let me go. Um, as my college graduation drew nearer, I began to see that I was, no, I was not a victim of my childhood. I wasn't a victim of my own choices. Um, I began to see myself as an individual, not somebody who was who's tied to this, this broken family. And that um, as I was beginning my new life, I had an opportunity to start over again. Um, I can't say there was any one big event or no you know, rock bottom um, moment, but um, just a slow revelation. It was kind of like um, being in a really dark room, and then all of a sudden there's just this pinprick of light. And as you focus on it, it just gets bigger and bigger, and eventually starts to overtake the darkness, and that's kind of what it felt. Um, So it was about that time that I met my husband at the College of Music at UNL. All right. (laughs) Well, this was, we actually met, uh, got to know each other our final semester of college, so 
I'd actually seen her. She was the quiet girl dressed in black that sat in the back of the class, and I was the nerdy guy in Argyle in the front row answering all okay, the questions. Okay, so to be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I worked 45 hours a week because I was putting myself through school. So I was tired, not just quiet. I was just tired. I studied a lot. <laughs> so... <laughs> so Anyway, I remember looking, there were 90 of us in our freshman class of music majors, and there were 11 that came, actually graduated. So it thinned out pretty quick. So in our last semester, we shared a class together, and I remember looking, Stephanie Maley, who is that? Couldn't, I didn't even know who she was. So anyway, she came to class late. Imagine that. I was tired. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's Stephanie Maley. Okay. So anyway, we met there. Um, didn't really associate much, but at one point we were assigned a project together. Uh, it was, there were 11 of us, and they assigned two or three people to these projects, depending on upon our major and exact uh, study or focus, uh, all being music majors. But anyway, we were assigned a project. Um, just a little background. If you don't know, I have a Corvair business. It's a car that was made, a Chevy car in the 60s. And so for a living, I sell, restore, and and uh, fix Corvairs we do for a living. So anyway, I've always been a Corvair guy. So my my classmate stephanie shows up at my house and she goes who's corvair is that I'm like you know what a corvair is? she's like yeah i love it my dad's got one i'm like well come on in so <laughs> as her mother says yeah i was saying my mom likes to say that this this whole family would not even be in existence if i didn't know what a corvair was so <laughs> god the can use the smallest things so anyway so the corvair was a great introduction we did a, and so we did our project had a good time and we did a few corvair dates just going out to Amigos and hanging out and whatever. So that was how we uh, started to hang out. Neither of us was look looking for love. It was a slow courtship. Um, after about a year of kind of hanging out, and which eventually led to dating, um, I got a job in Minden, Nebraska as a band director. My wife got a job in St. Louis. And so she moved there, and we knew at this point it would either make, her, make us or break us. And um, obviously, we're married and about ready to celebrate 20 years uh, this summer. So the rest is history. So um, when we were married, we both knew the Lord as our Savior. Um, but we had each kind of carved out a place for him, and we kept him right there. He wouldn't bother us, and he wouldn't interrupt us, and he certainly wouldn't ask us to do anything too crazy. Um, we were both very worldly in our thinking. We saw marriage as an arrangement meant to serve our own individual needs and interests. And neither one of us were really interested in sacrifice. Um, our marriage was, it felt like a tug of war. Um, both of us were dissatisfied in what we won and we were angry at what we lost. Um, our relationship was so broken that we didn't even consider adding children into the mix. We just couldn't even fathom it. Um, we were two lost, empty souls who threw ourselves into our careers in order to distract ourselves from the pain of just having to face the brokenness in our marriage. Um, one day, I was reading in Mark's gospel, and I came to chapter 3, verse 25, where it says, And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And it struck me, struck me to my core that this was us, that we were the house divided against itself. And I took the verse to Chris, and it hit him the same way it hit me. So we agreed that the following Sunday we would attend church together. Um, we had been married almost three years, and we weren't even going to church. He would go one place on Sunday morning. I would go a different place. Um, we decided that we would visit Hastings Z Free together the following Sunday. We had visited that church one other time when we were first married, um, 
but honestly, our hearts were so hardened to the Lord and to one another, I don't think we could even see what God had for us there. Um, we didn't go back. But when we returned after um, the Holy Spirit spoke to us, it was a totally different story. And we just, we felt that this was the place that God wanted us. Um, we could see, I could see that, you know, they had a biblical worldview. They um, preached biblical accuracy. But for the first time, I saw people that loved each other. I'd never seen that in church before. Um, so in retrospect, I think that we missed it the very first time we attended because we weren't seeking the Lord's will for a church home. We were um, looking to fit our own criteria. We each had our own criteria. And uh, wherever we went, it felt like one of us was winning and the other one was losing. And um, coming back to E-Free with our hearts centered on God's will for our lives, we could see that that's where he wanted us to be. So we went there together two weeks in a row. And then it came time to celebrate our third wedding anniversary. And we had planned a weekend out of town. Um, so that Thursday before, I had been running errands um, to get ready for the trip. And I came home and found the light on our answering machine. Remember answering machines? Yeah, we have. That's how long we've been married. We <laughs> had an answering machine, and it was blinking. And we played the message, the infamous message um, that would change the course of our lives forever. It was from a woman that I had been going to church with. She worked for Health and Human Services, and she arranged foster care placements for children when they entered the system. Um, her message said that she was, she apologized up front if this wasn't something that we were interested in, but she had two little girls whose current foster family had just given notice, and they needed to find a placement for them right away. It would only be for six months. That's all. Um, but they were desperate to find somebody who could take them. And she was calling us because we were both teachers, and we had been through the state patrol background checks, and she knew that she could put the girls with us right away. Oh, it was like a punch in the gut from the Holy Spirit. Or for me, it was like a two-by-twelve across the forehead. Um, I just broke down, and I sobbed because I realized at that moment the enormity of what we were missing as a couple. Um, and it was coming right in my face, and that our selfishness and our pride and um, the fact that we had been stiff-arming the life that God had planned for us, um, just by taking that little tiny step of obedience, just by attending church together, it cracked open a door that um, God was ready to fling wide open and flood us with his will. So we took that weekend, the anniversary weekend that I had been so dreading, and uh, we prayed about whether or not to take the girls. And we decided that we would go ahead and take this leap of faith. And so on Monday morning, I called my friend Lisa and I told her yes. And I spent three days running to every secondhand shop in the Tri-City area looking for cribs and high chairs and toys and clothes. And then on Thursday, we went to pick up the girls. Um, Trisha and Diamond were two and a half and 20 months old at the time. Pictures. <laughs> Um, and I will never forget the first time I met them. I was coming up the sidewalk of their foster house, and I saw this little blonde head who was just tall enough to peek over, like the wooden part of the door, just tall enough and peeked in uh, the screen. And when I got close enough, <laughs> Trisha said, well, hi, Mom. I found out later she called everybody Mom. <laughs> but those words, those words just did something in my heart, and I knew um, that I have changed. I have been changed irrevocably. Fear and pride and stubbornness were all melting away, and God was beginning a transforming work. Um, now, I don't know about you, 
But if I were God and I was, compla- I was planning to completely remake somebody's life, especially somebody who had been very afraid and resistant to the idea of parenting, somebody who had been very career-focused and had great worldly ambition, I would probably start them off easy. I would let them dip their toes in the water before deciding to take the plunge, you know, if the water was warm enough. But I am not God, fortunately. And he had no designs whatsoever of taking it easy on us in the parenting area. Our beautiful, precious children were absolute terrors. (laughs) Don't be deceived by the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I cannot tell you how many babysitters we went through. Chris was a high school band director, so we thought, this is awesome. We've got, like, this supply of babysitters that will never end. We went through them. We went through them. (laughs) We went through so many, we ended up bribing the ones who were actually willing to stay. We even had a colleague of mine that babysat, and we got home, and the girls were jumping. Yeah, an adult. They were jumping off the couch when we got home, and he just looked shot. And a few days later, he goes, I want another he also swore he would never become a parent. <laughs> but he did. They had a baby, so we're, we felt redeemed. All right. These little girls, they both had so much baggage, um, just both in life experience and their biological makeup. And God has worked a miracle in their lives. Um, you wouldn't recognize them. We have two sweet, generous, beautiful young ladies. Um, they don't even resemble the F5 hurricanes that they used to be. But it was overwhelming. It was really overwhelming in the beginning. Um, We have since gone on to discover that all of our adopted children have um, various special needs. And while it was overwhelming, it did have some positive effects. Um, First of all, as we began to discover kind of some of their lifelong challenges, um, all of the family members that were in line to adopt them, that's why we're only supposed to have them for six months, they just said, ooh, can't do that can't do that, can't do that. And one by one, they just kind of left the scene. And eventually, we were the only ones who were willing to take them. And we weren't just willing, we wanted them. We wanted these girls. Um, And that was kind of positive effect number two. Chris and I found out that um, when we had put our careers at the center of our lives, our relationship was completely dysfunctional. But when we became parents, we actually worked really well together. Human wisdom says that you don't bring children into a troubled marriage and expect the children to fix it. And I believe that. That's true. But God's ways are not our ways. He brought troubled children into a troubled marriage and began to heal us. Um, Finally, it has given, and oh, sorry, last experience, um, it has given our girls actually some really neat opportunities. Um, They have been given opportunities to work with children who are a lot like them. And, uh, in fact, I had one lady <laughs> call me and, and ask if, um, if Trisha and Diamond could work with um, some, some kids. She had a kids in a recovery group. And she said, I just so appreciate them because they just don't get rattled by any of the behaviors of the kids. And I said, that's because there is nothing that they c- these kids can come up with that our girls haven't tried. Like, they'll just be like, yeah, I've been there, done that, it doesn't work, and they'll move on. Um, so just, just none of those life experiences return void. God uses them all. So we actually became licensed foster parents about five months after um, the girls had been placed in our home. And we were licensed for two children, and we weren't planning to expand our family. I mean, that was, like, plenty at that time. Um, Then July of 2002 rolled around, and I got another phone call from my friend Lisa. She told me that she had, sitting in his car seat in her office, a three-month-old baby boy. 
Um, he had been removed from his birth mom about an hour before that, and he had been at the hospital being evaluated. And she was just looking to find him a stay-at-home mom. I was still teaching at the time, but this was in July, so I was home for about another six weeks. And um, I was just so stunned. I mean, we, we had, were licensed for two. We weren't expecting any other phone calls. I just was stunned that she was even calling me. And the only thing that I could think to say was, Lisa, I don't have a place to put him. Like, we have a two-bedroom house. The girls have one. I have, we have the other. There's no place for him. And her reply cracks me up. She's like, Steph, he's three months old. He doesn't take up much space. <laughs> I, could not, I could not argue with that logic. Um, so I went outside, and uh, Chris was painting our garage, and I just said, are you ready for this? And we were because we both knew immediately that while we didn't have a lot of physical space for a baby, our hearts had more than enough room for one more. And so about 20 minutes after I even found out that he existed, um, I drove to Health and Human Services, and I picked up our little Eric. And I will never forget seeing him for the first time. Um, he had these enormous big blue eyes, and they were just darting around the room like this. And his arms were stiff, and his little fists were balled up, and his back was arched. Like, I picked him up, and you know how when you pick up a newborn, they just kind of melt into your shoulders? He didn't do that. I mean, at three months old, he, his back was arched, and his eyes were darting around. And I couldn't, I looked at his head, and I, I was like, there's something, there's something not right about his head. And I figured it out later. It's because I could see the plates of his skull through his scalp. He had no layer of fat like a baby is supposed to have. And in, in short, this baby had been um, so neglected and so malnourished that um, I'm not sure how much longer he would have lasted if he had stayed where he was. Um, but we, so of course they gave him to me, the mom who's never had an infant before. And uh, we had, a, we learned a lot together. Um, bless his heart, he spent the first three nights in a laundry basket because we didn't have a bed for him. We just uh, did what we could, and I remember like trying to figure out his bottles. I couldn't figure out any of that, but um, you know, somehow we made it through. Um, he had been diagnosed as a failure to thrive baby, and we had a terrible time getting him to eat because he had never been fed regularly in his life. He didn't know that he was supposed to be hungry. He didn't know that he was supposed to like work at a bottle till it was done, so we had to teach him all these things. We were constantly sleep-deprived because we had to feed him around the clock every two or three hours, um, even at you know three months, six months, nine months. We just had to, to keep feeding him constantly. Um, he was very developmentally delayed. We have spent countless hours in speech and occupational and physical therapy um, just trying to get him to hit those milestones. Always late, but, but trying to get him to hit them. All the while, I was working full-time, parenting two little girls who had a lot of needs of their own. And then, come August of 2004, Eric's biological sister, Amy, came to join us. Um, so this is Amy. Um, Amy was the one adopted child that we had who I actually knew was coming. Um, she had been born while Eric was in our care, but um, for reasons I cannot explain, and they just make me angry when I go over them, um, she was left with her biological mom. Um, there were, Eric was getting daily visits, so there was somebody in the house every day kind of checking up on Amy. So Amy was there for 17 months, but eventually she started losing weight. Um, she just was not, she was not uh, developing like she should, so um, the state made the decision to remove her. When she came to us, um, 
her hair was falling out from malnutrition. She wasn't walking. She wasn't crawling. She wasn't talking. And so we just began that, that familiar process of rehabilitation all over again. Um, all this was happening, and as I said, the Lord basically took a two-by-twelve and hit me upside the head. And I knew it was his will. I knew to submit to it, but it was overwhelming. And uh, it took a while for my heart to catch up with what God was doing in our lives. And um, when Eric came, um, it was uh, July of 2002. It was that fall, I remember driving down the road on a teacher-in-service day, driving down Burlington, and I was just completely convicted. I will never forget it. I'm like, I am never home. I am never home. I was at work by 5.45 in the morning, come home, eat dinner, go back to school, work some more. And so I was completely uh, convicted at that time that I had to make a change in my life because I had a wife who's forgiven me far more than I deserve. And I have children that are needing me, and I was not there, and I was not available. And so I'm a, I'm a little slower on the development side here. So uh, at this point, I knew that I had to make a change in my life. And so I decided, we decided to leave teaching, and I started a business. Um, and I, that business started about a year before I actually left teaching. Um, it, we, that was our plan, was for me to leave teaching, uh, be self-employed so that I could actually be present with my family and my kids. And so that's when that all started taking place. As I left teaching, honestly, I, I loved those kids, and we had a great relationship. I mean, we spent <laughs> a lot of time together. And that was probably one of the most uh, difficult decisions I made, but I had 100% of peace about it. I knew that it was the right thing to do, so I wept a lot, but I also had the complete peace of knowing this is what God called me to do. And so at that point, again, we'd made plans, and uh, I shifted occupations. These kids have changed me from being totally career-driven to now focusing my life on um, being available for them. Um, so eventually, we were able to adopt all four of them. And um, started to kind of have a glimpse of what normal life looks like. We were just used to having people in our house constantly. Um, supervised visits and court visits and visits with the guardian ad litem and visits with the, the caseworkers and all that. So when once the adoptions were finalized, those were... Um, those were gone, and it was at that point that God began to open up our hearts to the possibility of biological children. And this was something that um, honestly was a really deep-seated fear of mine because my biological family was very broken, and they were broken by genetic things. And um, it, was, it was a frightening step for me, but um, God used people. He used circumstances. He used... Um, just a lot of learning to kind of break down those barriers and realize that, you know, the outcome isn't up to me and that, um, um, where is that scripture? Sorry. Um, I came across the scripture um, in John, John 9, um, when the disciples were walking by with Jesus and they come upon a blind man and they ask, um, you know, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should become, uh, that he should be blind? And Jesus answered him and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, um, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that scripture, um, God used it to, to help me realize that um, the step of obedience in having children, it doesn't, whatever is going on with them, God will use that. And God has a plan and God has a purpose. Um, 
First uh, Corinthians one twenty seven was also a scripture that um, spoke to me a lot. It says, um, "But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and the weak things of the world to shame the strong." And I knew that I needed to be shamed in a good way. Um, I was relying on my own strength and my own power in parenting, and that um, these were these were things left up to him, not to me. So um, we had Corinne, who was born in 2006, and then um, our son Micah followed in 2008. Things were no less crazy in our house. We made the decision to begin homeschooling in 2009, and with all the different needs in our house, the kids can tell you our days are insane sometimes. They're just they're just crazy, um, but they're awesome. They're really neat. And then in, um, oh, let's see, 2015, God opened our hearts yet again, and we had our little Mari, um, who's been kind of like the icing of in the, on the cake in our family. Um, she is just the apple of everybody's eye. Everybody adores her, and um, she's been a real unifying force in our family. So we just give thanks to God for her every day. So there's our long story. <laughs> and as we look at this, to try and summarize, through all this, we've seen the fruit that comes from putting Jesus at the center of our lives. Not only did he heal our marriage and continue to grow it, he, but he reveals himself um, to us through being obedient to his calling. God has taught us to listen to his calling, knowing that where he wants to take us is much better than where we might want to take ourselves. For example, being unified in Christ in our marriage, obedience in finding and attending a church, changing our careers, reordering our lives and our priorities. In short, submitting to whatever God has before us. One thing I've learned in walking with the Lord is that he's continuing, uh, constantly opening doors through which we can share his love and the gospel. Our God is sovereign and has a purpose and a plan for each day and for each person we contact. If we see each day as a gift, we can look forward to each day with excitement and anticipation of what he is going to teach us. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. With this in mind, we will see ourselves as recipients of his love and grace and not of, as victims of circumstances as the world would teach us. Each and every day, if we are following him, he is growing us and teaching us, and we are not the victims of just randomness. And I think that's so important for us to do and to share. And it will change our heart and our mindset to be carved into who God calls us to be. Um, also, Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm sure you're familiar with. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, a hope, and a future. God is good. So you ask, why are we sitting here sharing all this with you today and taking up 30 minutes or, or better of your time? Well, it starts with our relationship with Joe. Um, and just to give you a little bit of background, um, I, d I met Joe, and it's a God story I'll try to condense for you, but I had a building on 2nd and Bellevue, um, contacted one of my old band parents. I, was, I bought it, and I was looking to rent it. said, hey, uh, he had run a, a Christian bookstore that had to close down because of financial reasons. So I called him up, said, would you be interested in doing it a smaller scale in the front of our building and renting that? And he said, no, but he goes, I know somebody that would. And at that time, um, uh, Joe was the executive director of Youth for Christ, and so my band parent friend connected me with them, and that was the start of a, a relationship that we developed with Joe and his family. Um, 
<coughs> and they entered, they came in and started renting our building. And um, Joe and I connected, <laughs> as, you, as we mentioned. We have nothing in common other than our love for Jesus, our family, and our wives. I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but we're obviously very different, but I do consider him one of my best friends and uh, a brother in Christ to hold me accountable and just walk, uh, walk the uh, walk with me. And so <coughs> that's the start of a relationship. It often would, uh, he'd come over, or I'd go over there, and, and uh, what was supposed to be a five-minute conversation turned into an hour and a half, and um, I've always been blessed by that, but really behind in my work. <laughs> so <laughs> I give God thanks. He does provide. Um, even after Joe uh, and his family left YFC and changed location, we changed locations. We have kept connected by going out to dinner a few. Is we try to do it often, but a couple times a year, intentionally trying to share life together. And about a year and a half ago, Joe came to us and expressed a desire to have us join together with he and his family in your church plant. At that time, it wasn't a matter of if we felt called, but a matter of when. Uh, at that time, uh, E-Free, where we were attending, and uh, we attended for roughly 16 years, uh, was in transition from pastors, and I was still serving on the elder board as well at that time. So roughly six months ago, we had a similar discussion uh, with Joe and Christy, and the timing seemed right. Uh, we had called a new senior pastor at E-Free, and my term on the elder board had come to a close. So after prayerful consideration and discussion, we felt this was the Lord's calling, and here we are. So, Joe... You uh, a question. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, I know we're a little bit past time, but I, th I, if if we could, maybe it'd be cool if maybe one or two questions. If you guys have, you, as you've been listening, if you have, if you have a question you'd like to ask, um, maybe it'd be good just kind of open it up that way. So we only have time for one or two. So depending on how how long it takes us to answer the question, but. We didn't have so many kids, it would have been shorter, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anybody? I know it kind of puts everybody on the spot, but anybody think of a question as you were listening? I opened my business in 2003, and we've been doing the Corvair part about five or six years. And the whole purpose of my job was to create freedom. Uh, we knew when you're self-employed, the job is what you make of it. And so I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my family. And uh, that I give thanks for. Um, the Lord somehow in crazy ways has sustained us. And I'm grateful and completely humbled by that. Um, but it's been great. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't see my kids for a couple days sometimes even before. Anybody else? One more? Going once, going twice. I'll ask myself and answer a question. Maybe I. <laughs> You're gonna ask yourself a question. <laughs> so, <today> Chris, <laughs> what's the point of all this sharing today? <laughs> and I hope that you hear the underlying theme of what it is, and and that is just putting Christ at the center of everything. I remember when some one time somebody said, "Well, put Christ first. I'm like, "Man, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't understand that." And they said, and then somebody once spoke, "Put Christ at the center of everything." That makes sense. I can put Jesus at the center of my marriage. I can put Jesus at the center of my work. I can put Jesus at the center of my relationships with friends and family. That I can do. And through that, you see his faithfulness. You see your dependence on him. And he also, when you're obedient, he opens up doors. And we have other stories we <laughs> won't share with you, but of these 
crazy relationships that we would never have chosen that he put people in our lives that we've been able to walk with and been hurt, to be honest. And through one of those, uh, a, a young lady and a family, we really invest a lot of time and energy and money in. Um, she walked away and stiff armed me. And that was really hard for our family because we loved them. And she basically just said, I'm done. I'm out of here. And through that, a friend of mine shared once, he said, it, the outcome is not up to you. It's the obedience to God in that situation. And so that's something we've learned. Um, we, we just try to hear what God's calling is and, and be in obedience to that calling because he will bless us tenfold in his grace and his love. And that's the overlying theme I hope that you hear through our sharing with you. Anything you want to add to that stuff? Did he clarify that well? That's good. Um, well, I think we could go on forever and ever. As Joe and I can. As we can, yeah. <laughs> we always Christy and I usually that. have to schedule lunch after we have dinner together because we can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we do joke sometimes. Maybe Chris and I will just get our own table and... Steph and Christy can have theirs. It's, it's it not as much a joke as you think it might be. <laughs> I think I actually did send you a text once and asked if you wanted us to do that. <laughs> I think Joe's sermons won't seem so long anymore after this either. So <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, A um, couple of questions that I had um, for you guys. Uh, um, one, as you think about the mission statement of our church, I know I communicated that at the front edge um, as you think about that mission statement, and as we've talked about you guys coming and joining our work in planting, it's not, it's never been a conversation, I don't think, of, hey, come and just hang out, and it's come and get to work and do lots of work and things like that, but wh what, what excites you the most? I mean, and again, I, again, we didn't just, I know we didn't call you to a, we called you to leave a, a church that you were at for 16 years. You had lots of relationships there. I mean, there's like 500 people at E-Free, and there's 40 or 50 in this room, and so I know that's a big, that's a big jump to make. Um, so what, what, what kind of excited you the most about our mission statement or who we are as a church that you guys want to be a part of? Um, I think what excites me is because this is, this is where God is, and, and God's at E-Free too. God is moving, but um, what I've learned, if there's one thing I've learned, it's, it's go where God is taking you, because where he is taking you will be the absolute most fulfilling, exciting thing there is. I mean, I when I tell people what I do and who my kids are and who my family are, it, it is a lot of times um, I just get these like glazed over looks, like how how is that fun? <laughs> and it's um, but yet it's it's the life that he's chosen for me, and there is no other life, no other. Um, thing that I can possibly imagine doing that would come with the peace that he offers, that would come with the grace that he offers, that would come with the blessing that he has. And so that's the place where I want to be. And so, um, you know, despite the fact, yeah, we had a, we had, we did not leave E-Free for any negative reason whatsoever. Um, we had, we love that church. We pray for that church. Um, but God was moving us here and it would have been an act of disobedience not to come. And so just, First and foremost, you know, uh, obedience leads to blessing, and that's where I want to be. And I think the second thing is just um, as I look back over my life and, and um, the person that God is, is shaping me and molding me and creating me to be, I think the, the best thing I can do is just to lay that at his feet and just say, I'm a daughter of the king, and here I am. 
do with me what you want. Um, so I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's exciting to see. Um, it's exciting to see him sort of carve out those paths and and um, to see what he's going to do. And I, of course, echo that as well. And we've already been blessed. You know, we pray that God will use us to minister to others in this church and the community. Um, but he's also blessed us immensely already um, just to being a part of your church here, your church plant and the gospel community. We thoroughly love and feel like we've known these people for 20 years. <laughs> uh, it's been a real blessing. And so um, totally echo what my wife says. Just a couple other thoughts. I'll end my our portion with. Um, about what excites us about the mission statement, about uh, about uh, the well. First and foremost is the work of Jesus at the cross, the gospel message. Um, we are growing as a church family through the study and fellowship in our gospel communities. That's um, uh, important and excites us. Uh, that we are a mission on mission to share the gospel as God calls us in Matthew 28:18-20, which says, "Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age." Amen. No matter what <laughs> what we do or where we work, God has placed each of us there for a reason, to use our gifts to declare his glory. And that's something he revealed to me. I left teaching where people like actually respected you, and I started selling used cars. <laughs> that's a humbling change. <laughs> <laughs> and even the people I had taught their kids for six years were skeptical when they came to my car lot. And so God has shown me. Through where he's placed me, he humbled me, but he also showed me I have a platform where which I, in which I can speak his glory. I can share his truths, and I pray for those opportunities, and I love it. It's been a blessing to meet people, pray for people, and share him, who he is. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Yes. Last thing I'll leave you with. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And we are grateful to share our story because it's really God's story. And we hope that through our boring, long story, you see his faithfulness in, in our lives. And that's our prayer. And we thank you for listening to that. But I'm going to share a, a football analogy. Um, gathering for church and gospel communities in, in, each week is kind of like hold, is a huddling up on a football team. We take the plays, the techniques, the conditioning, and then we are to line up on the line of scrimmage in an effort in an effort to advance the ball down the field. At that point, the team doesn't go back and sit down on the on the bench and reflect, what a great play the coach just called. We don't. No. We the players put the play into action by lining up on the line of scrimmage and putting the ball into play in action by attempting to advance the ball down the field. As Christians, that is what we are, God has called us to do, to advance the gospel for his glory. And so I, I I'm, I'm love that analogy because, again, we often, I think as a culture, a church culture in the United States, we gather up. It was great. And even Steph talked about in her testimony. And then we just go back. That was awesome. Sit on the bench. And then we go back up and we sit it's for Sunday and we sit on the bench. But no, this is our time where we grow, we pray, we heal, we, we restore, we see God's graces, we empower each other. And we go out the other six days of the week and we are refreshed to advance the gospel to all those that he puts us into contact with. That's good. Thank you guys for sharing that. Uh, especially appreciate that final challenge that you made too. Um, if you're here and God saved you, then he also sends you. He doesn't save you to get comfy. He saves you to send you into some really uncomfortable places. I hope that that just kind of rings true. 
I know that most of us in this room, when we found the well, we found it because we were looking for a church family. Or we weren't, and somebody just dragged us in the door, right? And then we found that this was our church family. Um, since you guys lifted your hands, I forgot to point at you. Um, and, so, uh, uh, and so just hearing you guys' story today, um, again, just, just reminds me. It reminds me of the picture of Christ and what he did, right? He left that comfortable place in heaven, and he came to this sin-soaked, uncomfortable, filthy, dirty place called earth so that he could save people through his work at the cross, which is what we're going to celebrate here in just a minute as we take communion. But as, you, as we celebrate that together, I want you to be thinking about the places of your life, the different places where story is being built, whether that's your family, like Chris and Steph with their family, or whether that's your workplace, um, just like these guys shared in their different places of work as well, or whether that's just your friend space, right, where you're developing friendships. Um, what you have is a natural place to build relationship with people and share the hope and the love of the gospel. If you're here and you're saved, then, then, then you're being sent, right, as you leave here. Like Chris just said, this, this is like huddle time. When you leave here, you don't go back to your bench. You go out and you play. That's where the game of Christianity really takes place is outside these gathering spaces. And so um, as we take communion, I want you to be thinking about that. And obviously, if you're here and you're, you're not a believer, then maybe this, is, this isn't something you should be engaged in. But if you're here and you are a believer, then you should be engaged in that because we're celebrating. Um, and so I want you to be thinking about those things, be asking those questions. Um, so I want to pray for us real quick, and then uh, we'll get out of the way and let our music team lead us out. We'll close with some prayer and some communion. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you for Chris and Steph, their willingness to uh, share their story today, and uh, Lord, just the picture of your faithfulness to them and to their family over the years, and, uh, and Lord, thank you for the way that you've called them to come and join in the work of planting the well, and Father, I pray that, uh, uh, Father, I just pray that you would continue to become the center of all of our lives, and that, um, uh, and that you would help us to honor and to glorify you uh, with everything inside of us, so I pray that you would do that, pray that you would be um, just tangibly present as we close our time in worship and in communion. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.